Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about some European history, which I have been making a fairly consistent attempt to um, educate myself on, although I have to confess, it's very tangled. (laughs) And so you, or at least I find myself having, having to forgetting names and details and then having to kind of broad brush things. So, but nonetheless, I'm doing this experiment where I'm trying to trace through Europe really since classical times all the way up to the present age, the present day, you know, in this attempt to sort of say like, how did we get here? And like taking a really broad based picture, a really, really big picture idea of like answering this question, how did we get here today? So the basic idea is that, I mean, in all of this, by the way, there's a ton of room to add details, even to debate things that I say. But this, I think, is a fairly rough brush idea of how we got, how Europe, basically this podcast is about how Europe came into existence. Because the, even the, the word Europe didn't even show up till much later than you might imagine. Um, so like the idea of what we think of as Europe now, what, there was no such thing as Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, so on. The word didn't exist in classical times and the idea of Europe as a separate place didn't exist in classical times. So the, so the idea is, is that, you know, first we, you know, arrived at an idea of, oh, this land is Europe and this is the place that we now call Europe and we distinguish it from the Mediterranean and we distinguish it from, you know, North America, obviously, and we distinguish it even from, you know, out east and down into Africa and so on. This now land we call Europe. And, and then how, you know, like, and then from there, how did Europe, how did Europe progress into its current form? So like, how did we get to Europe? And then how did it become the Europe we know now, today? We know and love today. Um... So, like I said, there's like I'll do my best, but there are there are lots of details, and there's lots of room to fill these details in, and there are plenty of disputes about these. But I think this is a broadly accurate picture. Um, so you want to? We can go back really to the Hellenistic world and start there with the dawn of the European experiment, right? And here I mean ancient Greece. And this goes back, way back, Homer and so on, 800 AD and so on, 800 years before Christ, before before the turn of the the millennium, right? The, you know, how you do, how you do time is, you know, before Christ and after Dhamma. So 800 years, like 8th century, 9th century, you had Greece. And then you have you have really modern Greece where you have Athens as a 
a small city-state that innovated democracy. Uh, and you have the birth of, of really, of, of philosophy in 300, 400 AD with, with the pre-Socratics. And there's a ton of Thales and Anaximander and all these, these cats. And then you, you have, of course, Socrates, and I think well, it was like 300 AD something, or 300 BC, rather. And then you, then you have Plato shortly after Socrates. And then, or, or, I mean, and then you have uh, right, Plato shortly after Socrates. And after Plato, you have, of course, Aristotle. And then from Aristotle, you have this huge outflowing of knowledge that spread all over the Mediterranean area. And this was based broadly um, in, in present-day Greece, actually, in Athens, Greece. And uh, there were a few, there were several types of the, like, the Hellenes were the Greek people, and there were different parts of this broad Hellenistic empire, and I can't remember now, there was a big, big distinction between two types. And they actually spoke two different kinds of Greek. And they went to war with each other. There were like the Peloponnesian Wars and so on, which were happening during Socrates' time, which was like 300 AD. And you had, oh yeah, like their Spart the Spartans were one type of Greek people. And then you had the other type of Greek people, which were the more classic Hellenistic and so there were there were distinctions even in this this large Greek uh, empire, as it were. But sometime, and it's very unclear if you if you go all the way back to the legend, sometime Rome started as a separate entity from Greece. And if you go all the way back to to the original idea, yeah, the 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 Rome started like seven hundred year seven hundred BC or something like really really far back, and. Um, with Romulus, they're the two brothers, right? I forget the name of the other brother, Tiresias and Romulus or something. And like, so there's this mythology about Rome being like really, really early. But Rome itself, as we kind of come to know the empire, really did, you know, it did, it did overlap with the Hellenistic world. Um, but it, uh, it really was not a major, major force until something like 400 BC. Whereas Greek, actually the Greek experiment goes back to Homer, like to 700, 800 and so on. But like I said, some people think that Rome was like the roots of Rome go all the way back to 800 BC as well and so on. But like we don't really start seeing Roman empires and a lot of Roman culture until 400 BC, 300 BC and so on. And you don't see, you know, Julius Caesar and all that stuff until the turn of the millennia, really, in the, you know, like the first years, the 100 BCs and then the first years of the AD. And um, the Rome was based, you know, which started in basically in southern Italy. That was that was the, the birthplace of Rome. And Rome became, it superseded the Hellenistic world basically in the, you know, the first, probably by the first hundred years AD, right? Like, so Jesus, for instance, if you, if you trace this back to the biblical account, Jesus was living, the Jews were living in a part of the Roman empire that was fully established by 
33 AD, right? And so, um, you know, Jesus's life, right? And so Rome, Rome, Rome was a big, big deal by the first 100, 100 years of this the new millennium, 100 AD. And it had spread, and it was, you know, of course, it was the culture that Rome became the first real empire such that it spread all the way to England to the north and to the west of Italy and all the way south and east across the Black Sea uh, into, you know, like Turkey and all the way down into Africa and all the way up into what we now think of, you know, like all the way up into Scandinavia, like the Roman Empire and through into Spain. It was just this massive... It engulfed all of the Mediterranean area, parts of Northern Africa, and in fact, you know, all the way across the English Channel in the British in the in the British Isles, you had the Roman Empire. They built roads that interstitched this entire massive area that's larger than present day Europe. Was all Rome, and it was just it like it was inconceivable for people to. Like Rome was the civilized world, right? Like anything outside of Rome were just, they called them barbarians. There's this old idea that they call them barbarians because when they heard them talk, they were probably of Germanic um, origin. I don't know if this is true or not, or, or, but the Germanic languages sounded to the Latin speaking Romans as like bar, 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 bar. So they called them barbarians. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that or read that before. Um, so, yeah, right. So you had a movement. You had a move. was very, you know, over the roughly by the first century A.D., you had a, sh- a, a huge shift in power away from Athens in the Greek model to the Roman model, which was more practical, more engineering based and more militant roughly speaking, but was responsible for a huge amount of innovation and technology. Like I said, there are still Roman, the remnants of Roman roads in present day United Kingdom. And they had roads that went all the way out to the outskirts. And they had, they had um, legions, right, of soldiers that would live out on these forts and defend the the entire empire from basically marauding tribes of various sorts that were, you know, outside on the fringes of the empire. But inside the empire, you had huge civilization, cities, of course, Rome itself, right? Like if you, I've been to Rome. You can see now still the remnants of this fantastic urban city life that they had made thousands of years ago. It's just, it's amazing when you see, you know, I was reading about the the poet Percy Shelley who lived in the early part of the 19th century, 1810, 1813. I think he died right around that time, 1817. And, um, he died a little after that, but in the early part of the 19th century, Percy Shelley went and they visited Rome and he was walking through and describing the Colosseum and the Colosseum looked probably effectively like it looks today. The Colosseum is so old that we think of, wow, in 1810, looking at the Colosseum, that must have been a completely different experience. 
No, I mean, if you pull pull any in renovation that was done, you certainly that would make have an effect. But basically, like those those structures have been around for thousands of years. It's just unbelievable how old Rome is, and you still see the the you still see the the marble statues the the actual Colosseum is still standing and and um it's just it's unbelievable and and so this the this entire empire and at some point it basically split and this was the big big thing that led to Europe this was a key historical moment when the Roman Empire split into an east and a, and a west basically and what happened was, is the seat of power in the Roman Empire actually shifted away from what is now Europe in the West and went to, um, into Byzantine, what they call Byzantine culture, which was a kind of Eastern culture, which gave birth to Eastern Orthodox Christianity. And in 325, you had Emperor Constantine, who named the new seat of Rome Constantinople, which is now present day Istanbul, another place I've been to, and you can still see the remnants of the old Byzantine Christian culture, which is which is also intermixed with Muslim, with Islam or Islamic culture, because both religious, uh, both both religions have claimed that city as their own over the course of of history, and so, but anyway, Constantinople. Uh, so it was Constantine in 325 who who actually converted to Christianity, and then and Rome became identified with the Christian religion, and Constantinople became the seat of Christianity and also the cultural center of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire kind of split at this point, and um, the the western part of the Roman Empire kind of went into a period of decay. And was also a period of just like profound chaos because you had all these tribes, you had Visigoths and Vandals and Vikings and just all these tribes that were basically just picking apart, you know, pieces of the old Western Roman Empire. And you had the big, the big, the, the major people that kind of emerged out of this were the Franks and out of the Franks you have. Clovis was, was, was the first king who is associated with the birth of the nation of France. And, you know, out of the Franks, you also have the... The Franks sort of were responsible for... They became the, well, the present-day Germany, and they became present-day France. And then you had the Anglo, the Saxons, the Anglos, out after Angel, which is the island, right? And the Saxons, which were up north... But like the whole kind of the whole container for all of these modern day Western European countries, and by this I basically mean like Germany, France, and UK, um, were the Franks, right? And but like I like I said, you had the Visigoth, you had the Vandals in in down in Spain and the Visigoths, and uh, the Vikings for a time were a real force to be recognized. The Vikings were associated primarily with Sweden, but they were all up in Scandinavia. And they were these like seafaring pagans, meaning that they were not converted to the Christian religion, even though Rome had, as of 325, converted to Christianity. And, um, but the, the Vikings were not very good warriors in terms of like fighting people on land, in terms of like phal- a phalanx of soldiers or like a, you know, 
a legion, right? Like, what do they call the old, um, like the, the Roman legions, right? Like the troops and the, uh, like standard armies and in, in inland armies. The Vikings didn't fight that way. They were these, they came in on these longboats and they would attack the coastal cities at night and they just raised hell with, with England, the Anglo-Saxons, who had established some degree of Christianity, you know, later, later. But and the, the, the Vikings would come and they would attack these coastal, they would come and like maraud and raid these coastal cities. And they were, they had established trade rights, trade routes. Actually, the Vikings were quite powerful for a while. And this is one of the reasons why Western Europe lagged behind the you know the eastern part of the or the Byzantine part of the Roman Empire is because you just had all these bar barbaric barbaric pagan people constantly attacking and marauding right and so Vikings actually went all the way down their trade routes went all the way down through what we now think of as Moscow Russia all the way to Kiev to what's what was and actually they started they were called Varangians by the Slavic people who were in that area as well and the the Vikings probably you know sort of started Kivan Rus which is really the beginning of Russia so the the the, the Russians there's this different stories origin stories of Russia the story that the Ukrainians favor places the 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 beginning of what we now think of as Russia down in Kiev, which is in Ukraine, which is way south of Moscow and St. Petersburg. And then Novgorod, which is up close to Moscow, right, um, is the story is another origin point for the, the birth of Russia. And so there's all this sort of politics going on, but the, the but Novgorod and in Kiev or Kiev on Rus. Um, those, all those, the, 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 they, all the Varangians or the Vikings actually had basically had established dominance in those places and controlled those places and had trade routes that went all the way up to Sweden from all the way down to the Black Sea. And, um, so they were very, very quite powerful. Um, and so, but eventually there was a solidification, the Frankish people, and there were these bloodlines that would establish these these empires. The first one, I think, the Meringians were one of the first bloodlines, and they had like a succession of kings, and then they would establish stability in Western Europe and kind of like bring it under, bring the all the barb, you know, all the the, the tribal people under heel. And then I think later you had the Carolingians and, and the Carolingians are famous, you might think of Charlemagne, right? And Charlemagne was very successful in unifying what we now think of Europe under one rule and expanding it militarily. But generally speaking, you had a lot of chaos and a lot of mixed blood tribal warfare going on in the Western part of what used to be the Roman Empire. And Byzantine was relatively stable, or Constantinople was relatively stable. That started to change around the year 1000. That's a rough, rough estimate of when what we now think of as Europe started to congeal as an actual place. And you have the beginnings of what we now think of as medieval or, or, or mid to late Middle Ages, 
where you have, you know, you have serfdom, you have townships, you don't have large cities. Probably the large city, the largest city was Milan, maybe at that time, which was maybe 60,000. London was probably half that size. Paris wasn't large. If Paris even existed, London was around by 1,080. I guess Paris was, but the, but the biggest cities were probably the north, actually the northern Italian cities. But when you think of medieval Europe around 1,000 AD, you think of landowners, you think of serfs, right, uh, and peasants who, who are indebted to their masters, who, and the masters are basically people who own the land, and you have this very hierarchical culture where uh, everybody sort of has this place. You're a shoemaker and so on. And you just you have a lot of townships uh, and you have a lot of, you know, finally have technology that like this is one of the main problems, actually, that prevented Europe from being, you know, catching up to culture in the East for so long is that you have all these really heavily forested places in Germany and the black forest and right. And in these really dense forests, it's very difficult to farm or to do much more, you know, than, you know, have hunter gatherer type sites. And so until the plow and other technologies basically were able to clear that land and make large farms or larger farms, then you really didn't have, it was very difficult to get an economic, um, to get a, 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 you know, any kind of economy going in that area. So that, but so, but that finally started to change. And then when we get into the medieval times, we have, we have like, you know, like I said, it was primarily like a, it was, Europe was stitched together by towns rather than large cities, but you started seeing commerce and, you know, you, you started seeing kind of this way of life and there was, you started seeing um, an economy emerge and there was, there was trading and so on, but it was still not like what we would think of as modern day nation states. Like the idea of a nation state still didn't really exist. You would identify, people wouldn't say I'm French or something in 1000 AD. They would say, I live in this town and I identify with this town, right? And, right, so that idea, all that stuff was still fully alien in the medieval era. But you do have this idea that Europe is starting to become something of its own. Then you have, you know, you have the Crusades in the 11th century and you have the sacking of Constantinople. And then I think finally, Constantinople finally fell in like 1400 or something like that. And um, this, the shift of power finally went to uh, Rome. And then, of course, for a long time, you had, we think of, we think of the Catholic, so we had Catholic Christianity as opposed to Orthodox Christianity, which are two different types. Orthodox Christianity being identified with, you know, actually it was identified with Russia, is still identified largely with Russia, but was also just identified with Eastern, the Eastern part of the Roman Empire, um, and, and it's very different. It, it still did not have the notion of a Pope and the kind of Catholic, um, you, you know, structure that we think of. It was much more the, the idea was that the emperor was the, the, you didn't have a distinction between lay people and, and the Pope, the emperor and the, or, or, a, um, secular power and the, and the, um, you know, the religious power were basically the same, but in, 
in in Western Europe, the um, you did have an emperor that was secular, which was could be non-religious, and then you had a pope, which means father, papa, and there was there we they had the beginning of the church state problem, right? Like the uh, you know the distinction between church and state. We had that that actually sprang that came up, and there we had the the big conflict over investiture, which was who who got to appoint people into office. Was it the religious leader? Or the the lay person, the secular leader, right? Like who had the power to make like who who could be mayor, right? Like in the town, right? And that was the investiture around. I think that was like twelfth century. So you see the beginnings of the modern Western, also political structure and constitutional structure, um, by in the first few hundred years in this medieval time, and it's rapidly departing from the concepts that were dominant in the East prior to about 1000 AD. So that's roughly, that's roughly what, what happened. Now you had, for a long time, the Catholic Church was a lot different than we think of it now, where you have a center of power in Rome. You had, there was Avignon, which was somewhere down in, I think it was in like Spain or really southern southern Italy, where you had a you had a, a French um, pope serving simultaneously while there was another pope with laying the same claim to being the only singular pope in Rome. So you had like two popes, Avignon and Rome, and both saying that they were the only legitimate pope. And so you had this schism, the great schism that had to be resolved and it created an intense conflict within the Christian religion. You have to understand at this time, Christianity between 1000 and 1500 AD, Christianity was almost every aspect of everybody's life, their marriage, their birth, their death, all the rights. People took very, very seriously what was going on in the Catholic church. Almost every aspect of a person's life was dominated by religious orthodoxy as it was interpreted by the Catholic Christian tradition. You had Benedictine monks who had spread monasteries all over Europe. And this was really early on, even before 1000 AD, when you had the Benedictine monks. And those monasteries actually did a huge service to later... um, what we now, when we think of science and all this, it was actually the Benedictine monks who preserved over the ages all the classic texts, the texts of antiquity in Greece and in Rome, and were responsible for transcribing all of this literature and keeping it. Because, and it was a strange reason too. It wasn't that they had this modern idea of education. They had this idea that like the, that, that was what, that, um, that was their godly duty or something. Like, I'm not exactly sure. I'm trying to remember exactly why they did do this. It wasn't to spread knowledge. It was to preserve it for the, the Christian cause or something like that. But it had the effect of keeping alive all of this, this learning and transcribing it into languages, which of course became English but was Latin, you know, it, like the, it was, it was Latin speaking. 
um, for many centuries. And then it became, you know, it ended up in the Indo-European. Latin, of course, evolved into the Germanic languages. And then we came, finally became English. But I don't remember back in 1000 AD what they were transcribing it into, but it was, it was probably English by then, I suppose. All this stuff like the Canterbury Tales and all that stuff was, uh, was all in English. It's English that we would still sort of recognize today, quite still some big differences. But um, so, yeah, but so you just had like you had this, this, this like web of Christianity that really was an entire pervasive dominant worldview for everyone that lived in Catholic Christian Western Europe in the Middle Ages. And so when you have, when you have these crises like the schism and a, a competition of who is the actual Pope and so on, like people really felt this as an extreme problem. Wars were fought and so on. You also, you know, at this time, you also have the beginning of the bullshit between... <laughs> between Britain and France. So you had, you have the hundred years wars were this period in the, the 14th century, basically where, um, the, 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 like William, the, the British King would go and like try to sack France. And then they were like, you know, take over Paris. And then like the, the, the French people would come across the English channel and the English channel and they would attack Britain and they would try to take over Britain and went back and forth and back and forth. And then they had for a while the, 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 the Normans, which if you look in the map, you can see Normandy, which is the, the north part of France, which almost, you know, it's right on the water. And you can just go right across to, to, the, Brit to, to the UK, the present day UK. The Normans actually sacked, you know, or took over the British Isles for quite a while and then they were kicked out and they were back in France and so on. And this went on for like a hundred years. So you had that going on, but finally you solidified that. Yes, you know, Britain is Britain and France is France. And we, we you know, we still have the, con the modern concept of a nation state, but we have the idea that these are two different, two different peoples with two different Kings. And, and so, and Germany at this time was really lagging behind. They had a succession of emperors and they just kind of had a lot of internal problems that is associated with the Habsburgs, which actually go all the way up into the 19th century. And even then, they finally ended in the 19th century. But even after the early part, like 1816 or something, you had the last Habsburg in the German. But then I think they ended up in Austria and still kind of continued on in this other country, even in the 19th century. So that was a really, really long bloodline. That, that was responsible for Germany, even back in the Middle Ages. Um, France, you had the, the marriage of Archduke Ferdinand and Isabella, right? And then they were succeeded in kicking out the, um, the, the, Mus the Muslim um, occupation, if you will, or the, the, the large part of Cordoba in France was actually Islam part of Islam, the Islamic religion, Islamic empire. And then Ferdinand and Isabella consolidated power, Catholic Christian power in Spain, kicked out the Muslims and who I think were Arabic, like in ethnicity where they were the air, where there was like an Arab inf influence in Spain. I just finally made this connection why Spanish people are darker skinned seemingly than other people 
Um, I think some of the reason was is that they had a large Arabic population because of the militant spread of Islam in the in the Middle Ages, right? And then there was like a the southern part of Spain was basically Islamic, which was Arabic. I think that's the idea. Like they came in coming up from from I guess up through northern Africa there and across what Gibraltar and so on. So yeah, so I mean, but that that all all by the thirteenth fourteenth century, I think that was all that was all gone. The Crusades were long over, and but certainly by the fifteenth century, you have the very beginning of the idea of the nation state. And at this time, the seat of power now has shifted. By the time you get to fifteen hundred, the seat of power of Christianity, which remember started. And then 325 in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire started to dissolve in 400 AD, roughly, like 100 years later, you have the, you know, right? So, but the, the consolidation of, of Christianity was, went hand in hand, you know, in the West, went hand in hand with the power, the consolidation of power of the old, you know, Roman Empire as the new, as, as the Western part now, not the Eastern part in, in Byzantine culture. And that, you know, that was like, so roughly by 1500, you have the shifted power. And now you have the, an association with the idea of Europe and that's all in the West. So that's as far as I've got, I've got up to about 1500 and this it's between 1500 now and 2000, imagine the amount of changes and imagine the shift from Constantinople, which became Istanbul, which is now in present-day Turkey. Imagine the shift from 1500 to 2000. Now think about 2000, where, you know, just a little bit past 2000, 20 years, 21 years past 2000. Imagine the shift in the, in the last 500 years, right? Like, look at how Western Europe changed from 1500 to 2000. And that's going to be my next podcast.